Awesome. Praise you, Lord, our living hope. Go ahead and have a seat, everybody. Good morning to you. My name is Kim. Thank you, Roger. I'm so glad to see you all here today. I heard a story some of you may have heard about of Joshua Bell. He is a fantastic violinist. How many of you have heard of Joshua Bell? Washington Post ran an experiment with this amazing violinist. They told him they wanted him to go into one of the very busiest subway stations, a public transportation station in Washington, D.C., at rush hour, and to wear jeans and a baseball cap and just play. So he did it. And he put his case in front of him. He put a few crumpled dollar bills in that case. And he picked up his $3.5 million Stradivarius. And he played for 45 minutes. He played music of the masters. He played Bach. And get this, no one stopped to listen. Can you imagine? The best of the best. And no one realized who they were hearing Wouldn't that be sad to miss one of the greatest artists of our time just because we were unaware? Well, take a bigger leap. Can you imagine missing the chance to see God right in front of you? That's what happened to a couple of people that Ron told us about from the book of Luke that we're going to look at this morning, or it almost happened to them because they were so unaware and preoccupied These two people were not aware that they were looking at the risen Christ. I have been loving this series we're in from Luke because we get to see so many times that Jesus gave somebody just what they needed over a meal. I mean, we've met up with folks who felt unforgivable, who felt undesirable and unacceptable, and today we get to see what Jesus did for these two people who had been just plain unaware. So it's in Luke 24. Did you bring your Bible? Would you like to open with me? And if, uh, also, it's a great time to take out these, this listening guide in your program. It'll help you follow along. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, we want to invite you to stop in the lobby and get yourself one and take it as our gift. So let's start reading this morning, Luke 24, verse 13, okay? It says, that very day... Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. Now, let's get some context. What very day is this? Well, this was the weekend that changed all of history when Jesus had died on the cross, when he had been buried, and this morning, this was the third day. This was Resurrection Sunday, and let's see what happens. These two followers of Jesus were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. Okay, so they're talking about the crucifixion. They're talking about what they had seen. Jesus died this gruesome death. They had seen him laid in a borrowed tomb, and you know what? Their perspective was stuck there. And so they were walking away from Jerusalem. They were walking away from hope. And look, starting in verse 15, it says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus himself drew near. You know, I picture Jesus kind of relaxed, casually walking up and going, how's it going? 
Now, we don't know why they didn't recognize him. I have a friend who said, maybe it was like a Jedi mind trick. I am not the Messiah you are looking for. (laughs) Maybe it was too dark to see him, or maybe they just weren't expecting him. But Jesus says, verse 17, what is this conversation you are holding with each other? You know what I love about Jesus is he wants to know where you are. He wants to know, so he comes alongside you and he says, what's going on with you? And as these two start to unload and share their perspective, I want to ask, see if you can sense how being unaware of the resurrected Jesus affects us. Watch this. First, their unawareness made them dejected. You might want to write that down. They stood still, it says, looking sad. They looked downcast. These two were living in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. They were missing out on hope. Their hope had been overwhelmed by circumstances. And you know what? That's how most people actually live. This week, this message came across my computer screen. It says, overwhelm is the new normal. Can anybody here relate to that? I think overwhelm could describe what these guys might have been feeling. It was all too much. And I can get overwhelmed too when I am unaware that Jesus is with me. And what I can find happening then is a kind of paralysis. And my forward movement stops. So here they are on their seven-mile walk, and they're dejected. They're downcast and stopped dead in their tracks. But I want you to notice one thing. What these two did have going for him is they were in community. I mean, we hear how important it is to have your community, right? To have your village. You need to know and be known. It doesn't matter who your group is. We, we hear, we just find someone to talk to. You know what? That's a lie. It does matter who your group is because misery loves company. I mean, their togetherness was missing hope. They were sharing their dejection and their feeling of being overwhelmed. We need to remember that the kind of community where we find transformation is the community where the resurrected Jesus is acknowledged and he's right there in the center. This week, I got to spend time with a friend that I meet with regularly where I get to share my life journey with her. I just got to, I get to unload my struggles, how I'm blowing it and how I'm killing it. And I get to listen to her life in the same way. And I came away so encouraged. You know, the Bible says that we should confess our sins to each other, that we may be healed. And that's a great thing when we get to share the good and the bad and the ugly with someone else who understands that Jesus has transforming, life-giving power. And it's so much different. It's so different than just being commiserating with people who are friendly and supportive but don't know the life that can be found in Christ. So what we see in these guys, in their sharing, because they were unaware, is they were dejected. And you know, their lack of awareness also made them discouraged. They unloaded on this stranger what they had seen, how they had put their hope in following this man named Jesus. But now they were overwhelmed because they had seen him crucified. And listen to how heavy these three words they said. They said, we had hoped. 
You know, those are three of the saddest words in the human language. I mean, we had hoped. When hope is past tense, maybe some of you have been there. Maybe you're there today. What had they hoped? We're going to see that their hope was about Jesus delivering them from the Romans. They hoped for some new circumstances because these circumstances were intolerable. Listen, that made them dependent. Would you write that down? They were dependent. They were depending on a new situation. And look at how they said it. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now, when we say the word redeem, we usually are thinking of a spiritual connotation, right? But for them, that was a political word because their country, Israel, had been under oppression by the Romans for centuries. And they knew that the scriptures promised them that there was going to be a Messiah or a leader to show up. And he was supposed to have squashed the Romans, not get squashed by the Romans. But because they were dependent on circumstances, their belief in Jesus was shaken. And now they were giving up on him. You know, these two are a picture of many people who just latch on to Jesus with gusto in the beginning like, like a lucky rabbit's foot, like they're joining a club. They think, you know, Jesus is going to be the ticket to changing my circumstances. He's going to get that promotion for me, or he's going to help me get that girl or that guy, or he's going to get me, help me get healed. But when they find that they're still stuck, facing some painful situation, or everything is not all fixed up, they leave. They leave Jerusalem. They head toward Emmaus. They say to themselves, oh, well, I guess Jesus wasn't the answer. And what strikes me about these two is their lack of awareness actually made them defiant. They actually pushed against the promises, against the mounting evidence that Jesus had risen. Listen to what they said to the stranger. Besides all this, it's the third day. And some of our women amazed us this morning by saying they found the tomb empty. And then some of our guys went and checked it out. And yeah, they found the tomb empty, but... Now watch this. Remember, they are looking at Jesus right now. Him they did not see. That's in verse 24. Does that strike you as kind of ironic, kind of funny even? Him they did not see. We could say to him, dude, him you do not see. I mean, they're looking right at Jesus, and that makes me ask myself, how many times am I looking at a life situation and him I do not see? I am defying his promise that he is with me. He's promised. Their lack of awareness made them dejected and discouraged and dependent and defiant, but it also made them, wait for it, got to use another D word, daft. I love that word. I love language. Daft, it means foolish, slow. I mean, these guys were dejected, discouraged, dependent, defiant. Maybe this is why they were called the disciples. (laughs) Duh. They were slow. Look at how Jesus said it. How foolish you are. How slow to believe. Some think it was like Jesus was calling them knuckleheads. Like he was grabbing them affectionately around the neck and giving them a head noogie. You know, I think out of his love, it was a little stronger than that. I think he was looking them in the eye and challenging them and saying, stop doubting and believe. I mean, why is Luke the most detailed of the gospel writers telling us this whole conversation? 
Because Jesus' first response with these unaware, clueless, despondent followers of his was not to shine a big, explosive, bright light and proclaim with a booming voice, it is I, the resurrected Christ. No, that's not what he did at all. Watch what his first move was. He gets super practical. If there's anything that Jesus is, he's practical. Let's read the rest of verse 25. He goes, how slow you are to believe all the prophets have spoken. Would you circle that word spoken? Jesus is saying, God has spoken and you're hard of hearing. And I'm so glad Luke told us what Jesus says to do about our spiritual deafness. How to hear what he has spoken. Jesus is saying, this is how you turn up your hearing in a spiritual sense. You know, a a couple of weeks ago, I got the privilege of going with my mom for a hearing aid check. And I got to hear the doctor, who's called an audiologist, explain to her that he could turn up mom's hearing device, her hearing aid, a little bit more so she could get more amplification from it. But mom would have to tolerate that she would be hearing everything else in the room louder as well. Now, hearing aids are amazing, but that is a drawback. I wouldn't want to be hearing all the clanging of silverware. I want to be hearing the voice that is speaking to me. And I got to thinking, you know, what Jesus is saying here to do is so much better. I mean, he's like a spiritual audiologist with a perfect solution. Not just for them, but for me. Because they are not the only ones who are slow, who are daft. Many times it's me going the wrong direction, circling my own thoughts, my own dashed hopes. And he says, if we want to turn up our ears, if we want to turn up our responsiveness to what he has spoken, if we'll do what he says, then our receptors for his voice will get clearer and louder and all the other racket will fade away. Watch this. This is what Jesus says to do about my own foolish, slow heart. He says to read the Bible, the whole Bible, with Jesus front and center in my mind. You might think, what? Did we skip a chapter? I thought we were on this road where two people are oblivious that they're talking to the risen Christ, and here he is with an opportunity to make a dramatic announcement that he's alive. I mean, he could really make a scene here. And he takes these two into a Bible study? What? Well, look at how it says in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Now, that's shorthand for the Old Testament, the part of your Bible where you're never going to find the name of Jesus because he hadn't been born yet. So he says that he interpreted to them all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Would you circle the, the, the word himself? Jesus is saying that he is in the whole story, start to finish. Jesus is saying, when you read this, look for me, because apart from the resurrected Christ, it won't do anything for you. Does anyone else here ever find reading the Bible to be confusing? Let me see your hand. I'm glad I'm not the only one. You know, 
Some people try to understand it by reading the Bible like it's a fortune cookie or maybe like a fable. Like, take the story of David and Goliath. I love getting to hear a pastor down south named Drew Sams talk about that story because many times people tell it like it's out of Aesop's fables. We even get mantras from it, like, like the, go out and slay your giant right? Or the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Yeah. You know, it can be related like it's a pump you up like Oprah. You can do it. But that's not where the power is in David and Goliath. Jesus would have opened that story and said, no, it's all about me. You see, David was the smallest and weakest of all his brothers. And David went forth as a representative of an entire nation. And if one man loses, then the entire nation loses. And if one man wins, then the entire nation wins. And Jesus is saying, see it through the resurrected Christ. He says, I am the greater David. I've come in weakness. I've gone to the cross. I've gone to death. I've defeated death so I can share with you all the riches and all the glory. Think about it. It was the very morning, day. He had stepped out of that grave, and he had done it to give these people victory, like he's done for you and me. Whoa, I wish I could have been there on that road to hear him tell. You know, he took the verses that these people had heard over and over and over and showed them that it was all about him. And one day when I get to glory, I want to ask Jesus to share that sermon with me about what he said on the road to Emmaus. I want to hear, how does all this point to him? And what is up with the book of Leviticus? <laughs> now, on your notes... I included a gray box. Well, it's not real dark, is it? It just says some scriptures Jesus could have shown them. Because I want to give you a chance on your own time to get started practicing what Jesus is saying to do here. To warm up your awareness to Old Testament writings that were actually detailed descriptions of Jesus. They were written centuries before his birth. And here's just a few of the many verses that are actually prophecies that detail his death, how he would die, where he would be buried, and how he would live again. So here we are, before we even get to the meal that these two would share with Jesus. I mean, we're still on this walk with him. And what we see is how important it is for us to have a community and a Bible that is centered on the resurrected Jesus. He is where our hope is found. But what about the meal? We're told that they get to Emmaus and that the two travelers say to this stranger, hey, we want to hear more, and it's late, so come on, come stay with us. So in verse 30, it says, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Now, what does that make you think of? The Last Supper, right? Where we get to see Jesus make the connection between him breaking the bread and pouring the, the wine and, and his connection to the to how he would give his own body on the cross. And it says in verse 31, suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him and at that moment he disappeared. I mean, can you imagine the shock when he blessed that bread and broke it and their comprehension kicked in? I am so visual that this old painting really helped me 
to step into this moment. And by the way, have you seen the fantastic paintings we have out here in the lobby from our artists? I mean, I just love the gift that our artists are. I hope that you're going to give yourself a moment, just some time to stand there and reflect and, and get involved with Jesus at that table like our artists have done. But this guy, Caravaggio, painted this back in 1602 to represent how the travelers did not recognize Jesus. I mean, Jesus is even missing his beard. Now, what Jesus is missing a beard, right? But we can see Christ there at the table and the moment of understanding as it kicks in for these men who had been oblivious before. You see the guy on the right? He's jumping back. There's even a bowl of fruit at the front edge of that table about to fall off. Like you and I are being invited to, to jump right in and into that moment and catch that fruit. The painter is saying, come on, get involved here. This is Jesus. He's alive. They recognized him. Maybe they had seen Jesus break bread before. Maybe they saw his nail-pierced hands in the candlelight. Or maybe their spiritual blinders just suddenly came off. And I imagine them shouting, It's you! We've been talking to Jesus the whole time? Luke says he disappeared from their sight. And I imagine our playful post-resurrection Jesus giving, giving them a wink and saying, Gotcha! And with a poof of smoke, he's gone. And they tried to grasp this total reality shift. They asked each other, weren't our hearts burning inside us? Did you feel it while he talked to us and explained the scriptures? Now, what I want you to see is how this big reveal changed these people radically. They're completely different now. How a resurrected Jesus can change us too. First, at Jesus' table, we can find hope that gives us power. Verse 33 says they rose. Would you circle the word rose? Nothing helps you rise like hope. Jesus had conquered even death, so he really is Lord, Lord over all. They weren't stuck gazing anymore at their hard lives. Now they were just focused on Jesus as, as their hope. It says they rose that same hour. Those three words say so much. What hour was it? It was late. And it says they immediately started that seven-mile walk back to Jerusalem. Now listen, in the first century, the road that led from Emmaus to Jerusalem was one of the most treacherous roads there were. In fact, there were, it was robbers. It, it had the worst kind of people. The unsavory types were there. The people you don't really want to be around. The kind of people Jesus wants you to associate with. And I see a power rising up in these two, no matter how risky it is. Their situation, it hasn't changed. The Romans are still in control politically, and all the circumstances they hoped that Jesus would fix are no different. For you and me, we might look at our own lives and realize that the sickness might still be there. Or perhaps I'm still waiting for that promotion. Whatever it is, in my brokenness and in my self-centeredness, I sometimes look at what's going on around me as though it's a test 
of how attentive God really is or how powerful the Lord really is. How much does he care? How good is he? You see, an encounter with the risen Christ can change that attitude. It says here that when they recognize that Jesus is alive, when they get their minds blown that he is right there, suddenly they're up, they're moving. They have power again, even to step into danger. They're no longer paralyzed. You know, I want to be like that. I want to have such a boldness about my trust that I would follow Jesus despite my circumstances, despite the risk. I want that kind of hope because it generates power in me to rise up. But, you know, I also want the other thing that renewed hope gave them at that table, and it, it was purpose. Notice where they went. It's so powerful. In verse 33, it says, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They returned to mission. They returned to calling, to a future filled with a purpose because at that table, they had encountered the resurrected Jesus. It says in 33, and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. So Jesus' resurrection gave them purpose, and they joined with others who had embraced this life-changing reality. And I'm so glad that they found their purpose because, you see, they are the reason that you and I are here today. Because they had encountered the resurrected Jesus. Listen, my friends, this is what I hope you're going to go home with, focused on today. Remember this, a resurrected Jesus changes everything. Nothing transforms like that reality, that he is living. He is our living hope because he is here. You know, when we, when we first met these two people walking on that road, they had been looking for Jesus in the spectacular and what surprised them was that he was right in front of them in the ordinary, on an ordinary walk, at an ordinary meal. And it's the same for us. If we're looking for him in the spectacular, we might miss him right in front of us in our ordinary lives. We might be looking for him in a great feast, but he's right there in the frozen dinner. <laughs> Look for him in your ordinary. We get to encounter the resurrected Jesus again and again and join in on what God is doing. But listen, I need to be honest with you. As I thought about this and how it plays out in my life, I realized, you know, I've had a really hard summer. I turned 55 this summer. <laughs> it was, thank you, it wasn't the number that bothered me. What dawned on me after my birthday was, you know, when we have activities around here, we have age groups show up, 55 plus, that's the last category we bother to even mention. <laughs> but it wasn't the number. What bothered me was so many life situations that are just intersecting for me right now. I mean, both of our dads are in heaven. Ron and I both have a mama that lives many states away, and both of our mamas are struggling with tremendous health issues, and we're trying to figure out how to help them far away. Many of you have been there. And you know, in a week and a half, our youngest is going to fly the nest. We're going to be empty nesters. I know. All of this is intersecting for me. 
But these are ordinary, everyday struggles. These are not spectacular things, right? But you know, we have dear friends who are hurting deeply right here in our church. And let me tell you, when you hurt, we hurt. And the ever-present smoke outside, it just reminds me, there are people and there are animals who are suffering. And it's just ordinary, and it goes on and on and on. So this talk brings me a challenge. How do I look for Jesus in the ordinary, in the everyday? Will I be aware? Will I recognize him? Well, I got a chance to do that yesterday, right here. We get to have a memorial service to honor an amazing woman named Judy. She wasn't just my friend. I got to be one of her caregivers. I had an ordinary job working for an extraordinary woman. And what I got to see and celebrate again yesterday was how the resurrected Jesus helped her and her husband face death. How this whole family has amazing living hope. Because of Jesus in Judy. So I need to recognize him. And as I ask myself that question, I want to ask you, will you have eyes open to look for him in your ordinary, in your everyday? Will you allow the eyes of your heart to be open? Because the resurrected Jesus is right here with you in your circumstance. Because He wants to help you rise up with power and purpose simply out of your awareness that he is present. Jesus is saying, stop looking for me in the spectacular. For instance, what about your business? I see many of you in your business, in your line of work, acknowledging the presence of Christ and shining his light right there in your workplace. A resurrected Jesus changes everything. Maybe you're a student. Jesus is saying, look for me in the ordinary because you know what? I'm right there in your school. I'm right there in your neighborhood. I'm right there in your ordinary school day. A resurrected Jesus changes everything. Maybe you're on the soccer field with youngsters or maybe you're going to help high schoolers start football practice. Maybe you're a young family raising children. Maybe you're, you're out there on playgrounds with them or you're gathering them around the table and you're eating ordinary mac and cheese. Whatever your situation, look for him. The resurrected Christ is with you and that changes everything. Maybe you're in rooms of recovery. Maybe you come to celebrate recovery and you're working through a substance addiction and Jesus says, look for me, I'm there with you. Maybe you're in our retirement communities or you're up the road at the jail. Or maybe you're sitting down for a meal or over coffee with a friend. Will you have eyes to look for the presence of the Lord? Because a resurrected Jesus changes everything. Who will you invite? We've got amazing things happening all around us and it's not just for us. We can open our eyes and we can invite others to notice him with us. And next week, we get to gather around the table in a special way. We get to remember Jesus breaking that bread and pouring that juice so we can acknowledge what he did for us on the cross, how he gave his life. But I hope 
this week that you're going to live your life remembering he stepped out of that grave. He's alive. He's with you today so that you can rise up with power and with purpose. Will you pray with me right now? Lord, you really are alive. You really are here, and we thank you for allowing us to step into this moment with your people who got so surprised at that table. And we want to ask you to help us to be surprised. Lord, help us to have that sense of wonder. May our jaws drop at the realization that you are actually here. Now, some of us are in a good space today, but some of us today are hurting, Lord, with relational struggles or financial hardship or chronic illness, maybe even life-threatening illness. There's so much pain. Some of us are actually in the valley of the shadow of death. No matter what's going on with you today, would you just take a moment right now to meet with God quietly in your heart Say, Lord, I don't want to live dejected and discouraged and dependent and defiant anymore. I want to be more than somebody who knows about you, Lord. I want to be somebody who experiences you. Lord, help me to open the Bible with a hunger to see the resurrected Jesus on the pages. Lord, help me to have insight that you alone can give me as I read the Bible. And help me today, Lord, to look in my ordinary life and to actually see you. So I'll be filled with your power. So I will be part of fulfilling your purpose. And I thank you for the living hope that your presence gives me. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.